the thought pattern of discouragement. The negative thoughts that we have that bring discouragement into our life. If there's one battle that every single person in this room will have to learn to fight, it is the battle against discouragement. Do not think that you've been separated by the enemy and that you're the only one that battles this. It doesn't matter how much money you have, you still battle discouragement. It doesn't matter what dreams have already come true, you still battle discouragement. It doesn't matter what you look like, how old you are, what kind of parents you had, what kind of job you have, what kind of boss you have. Every single person, at some point in their life, they're going to have to learn to overcome the spirit of discouragement. And as much as we like other people cheering us up, as much as we love our friends, to encourage us at just the right time. It is nobody else's responsibility to keep you encouraged except for yourself. Uh, It's unfair to the people that you're in relationship with to think they have to always call you to make sure you're happy. Yes, we should encourage one another like the Bible says. Yes, we should pray for one another. There's nothing wrong with that. But the responsibility of you keeping yourself encouraged lies upon you. It is not your spouse's priority to make sure you are happy and content. It's not your parents' job. It's not your children's job. We cannot rely on others to keep us encouraged. It's not even, believe it or not, it's going to shock you, don't fall out of your seat. It's not even your pastor's job to make sure. He always answers his phone and always makes sure that you're happy with everything in life. If there's one thing we have to do is this, we have to learn to encourage ourselves. That's the biggest point today. You have to learn how to do this on your own. In 1 Samuel chapter 30, David battled one of the most difficult days of his entire life. In one day, he lost everything. David was in charge of a city called Ziglag. And um, David took all the men of his city, and they went and fought in a battle somewhere else, and they were victorious. But while they were gone, some bandits came in and raided their city of Ziglag, kidnapped all the women and children, and burned the city to the ground. Now here's David. He's walking back with his men. They were triumphant the day before, and now they see the smoke billowing in the air and they get closer and closer and realize what has happened and they arrive and see everything's gone. All their possessions are gone. All the women and children have been taken. The city's burned down to the ground. And the Bible says in verse 4 of 1 Samuel 30, the men were, they cried until they were too weak to cry anymore. I don't know if you've ever been in a place in life where you're so discouraged, you feel like the whole world is coming against you that you literally are crying until you don't have the physical strength to cry anymore. And just when David thought it couldn't get any worse, just when he thought he lost everything he had, in verse 6 it says that he was distressed and his own men spoke of stoning him. Now his own friends are turning their back on David. This could have been the point in David's life where he fades off into the sunset. This could have been the point in David's life where we never hear again of this great hero that once defeated Goliath several years before. This could have been the point where David said, I'm getting out of Myrtle Beach because Myrtle Beach distresses me and the people there aren't right. And the problem is wherever you move at, that's where you're going to be. You can move from one city to the next and one job to the next and one relationship to the next, but if you don't learn how to encourage yourself where you're at today, no matter where you go, you're always going to be there. In the middle of these ashes of defeat, in the middle of his own friends turning their back on him, David did something that very few people on earth know how to do. It says in the rest of verse 6, but David encouraged himself in the Lord his God. His wife was not there to encourage him. She had been kidnapped. His friends that he had trusted and spent so many years with, they had turned their back on him. And now they're speaking of stoning him. David's pastor would not answer the cell phone. David tried. He hit redial over and over again. He said a text. And for some reason, his pastor must have been on vacation, which is allowed somewhere in the Bible. I'll find it and give you the verse at some point. But the pastor's allowed to go on vacation. And for some reason, David still found a way 
to rise up and fulfill his God-given destiny in spite of the discouragement that he was going through. After he chose to rise up and encourage himself in the Lord his God, in verse 8, God spoke to him and said, You shall pursue the enemy, you shall overtake them, and without fail, you shall recover all. It's interesting, but not until David decided to encourage himself did God speak and then give him the power to do just what the scripture says. David overtook the enemy, he pursued them, and he recovered everything that had been stolen from them. So the question I have for you today is this, because there's a great freedom in being able to encourage yourself. There's a great freedom in not having, having to, it's okay to have friends, it's okay to have people praying for you, but there's a great freedom in not having to have somebody there all the time to make sure you're happy. So what's the application for the sermon? How did David do this? Let's start the application process. All throughout the Bible, God says there are certain things that we should remember and there are certain things that we should forget. It tells us all through the Bible that we should forget our failures, that we should forget our mistakes, we should forget the setbacks we faced in life, we should forget the times that people betrayed us, forget the times people turned their back on us, forget the upsetting, difficult times, but it tells us all through the Bible that we should remember our victories. We should remember our accomplishments. We should remember the miracles that God did in my life. In Lamentations 3.19, it says, thinking of my troubles makes me depressed. Then I remember something that fills me with hope. The Lord's kindness never fails. This is what that scripture is saying, that our mind is like a television. And we can choose to flip on whatever channel we want to flip it on. It tells us right here, if we flip on the wrong channels, if we flip on the times where we failed in life, flipped on the negative, discouraging times, it'll keep us right where we're at and we'll never have any zeal for life, never have any passion to go forward. But it tells us if we will flip on the right channels, if we'll flip on the good memories, if we'll flip on the times where God brought us out and we didn't think we were going to make it, where God opened up the door, where they didn't think was going to open, where God gave us that promotion in life, if we will remember the good things, and the scripture says here that it will fill us with hope. I have a lot of good channels that I like to play in my mind all the time. One was when my son Zachary was being dedicated uh, as a baby. He was uh, less than a year old, and I was uh, 20 years old. And we are actually in this building, and I was showing him off. I had a new suit on that day, and people are taking pictures and praying for him. And I had it on my shoulders for everybody to see. And all of a sudden, as the pictures are going and the pastors are praying, I felt this warm liquid just pour down the profile of my body. And you may think that's not a good channel. Listen, I play that channel over and over and over again, and it brings joy to my heart. About two years ago, a friend of mine took me to New York and surprised me with some Billy Joel tickets, one of my favorite artists. And, and I was very excited to go, and the tickets were in the nosebleed section. I mean, the top of the top of the top of the top. You couldn't tell if it was Billy Joel or Elton John on the stage playing, but it didn't matter. We were up there and having fun. And before the concert started, some guy in a suit, out of the hundreds, if not thousands of people around us, some man in a suit walks up to me and my friends and says, um, hey, I'm with Billy Joel, and I would like to know, would you care to sit on the second row down from the bottom right in front of the stage. And I thought, sure, do I need to sell you my firstborn son, my first twoborn? I'll give you whatever it takes to do that. And, um, and, 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 and so he walked us through one security and then another. Then I kind of got fishy. I said, listen, I bet you want us to give you our tickets and then you're going to quote unquote take us to the second row. He said, no, no, keep your tickets. Just follow me. He walked us through hundreds and hundreds of people. In fact, there was a security section in between the third and second rows. And we went through that he sat us down and he walked away. Listen, I play that over and over and over again in my mind. There's no other source for that taking place except for the hand of God in my life. I replay all the times that I took my kids to sports games and coached them in soccer and basketball and things like that. Here's the point I want you to see. You hold the remote to your mind. 
I don't hold it for you. I would love to be able to click on the right channel in your mind and make sure you're always playing the victories and always playing the accomplishments, but I can't do that for you. Your parents can't do that for you. God can't even do that for you, which also means the enemy can't do that for you as well. If a negative memory comes to mind, you don't have to watch that channel. I know some people, whenever they go through difficult times in life or they faced a, you know, somebody walked out on them or they, they faced a sickness or they lost somebody, they will play that memory as if it was a Steven Spielberg movie in their head and they'll pull up a recliner and they'll get some popcorn and just watch it over and over and over and over again. I don't do that. In fact, in my, in my house, in my TV, if, um, if, a, if a channel comes on that's like really disgusting and scary and, and evil and weird like TLC and people giving birth and stuff like that. Man, I just, I just turn that channel. I don't want to watch. I don't sit there and think, man, this really disgusts me, but I'm going to watch it for the next 30 minutes anyway. No, no, I grab the remote and I turn the channel. If that naked and afraid thing comes on, listen, I don't want to see afraid people and I definitely don't want to see naked and afraid people. I just turn the channel. You hold the remote control to what goes on in your mind. Psalms 105.5 tells us, here's the channel we should be watching. Remember and keep in mind the miracles and the wonders that God has done. Here's what that's saying. Each one of us in here have a history channel with Almighty God. From the time you were a child, I bet if you look back far enough and hard enough, you will find miracle after miracle after miracle after miracle that God did in your life. Here's the problem we have. We remember the things that we should forget and we forget the things that we should remember. We remember the things that we should have let go of years ago, and we forget the memories that we should be bringing up in our mind over and over again. I'm sure a lot of you have a loved one that's already passed away in your life. Um, my best friend in high school, Marcus, uh, he's not here today because he's up in heaven, and um, unfortunately he passed away a few years ago, but I had the privilege of preaching his funeral at that time. And if I wanted to, I could go to that remote control in my mind and I could turn the channel on where I see his earthly body laying in that casket. I could turn the channel on and visualize the people crying and how upsetting that day was. But I have never once shown that channel on the television of my mind. In fact, over and over again, I'll play the times where he and I would ride up and down the boulevard on Saturday nights and try to pick up girls, which for some reason we never were able to. But anyways, <laughs> probably because he was with me. But anyway... <laughs> Just kidding, we'd ride up and down the boulevard. We would race in our trucks everywhere we went. When this was the Air Force Base even, man, we would race up and down these roads. There were even dirt roads. We'd race everywhere we went. I know um, when Marcus, he always wanted to honor his parents. He loved his mom and dad. And um, every time I'd spend the night with him, I would try to get Marcus to sneak out his house, and he wouldn't do it. He said, no, John Paul, I don't want to upset my mom and dad. I was like, Marcus, let's just sneak out. Let's go have fun. No, I don't want to upset my parents. I said, Marcus, your parents love you. They won't be mad. My parents will be mad, not yours. Let's sneak out the house, go have fun. He wouldn't do it. When his parents went out of town, I'd say, Marcus, let's take your dad's truck. You know, he'll never know. He wouldn't do that either. I was a really good influence, if you can uh, imagine, <laughs> my friends. Here's the point. We have to go back to the files the history that we have with Almighty God and realize there's a channel in our mind that can replay the victories, the accomplishments, the good times, the fun times, the time where you know it had to be God. There's times in your life that you forgot about. In fact, there's probably times where you were once super excited, where you knew, man, that we got this house because of God. We had this child because of God. We had this victory, this promotion, this job because of God. You were so ecstatic and you probably said things like, God, I'll go to church every Sunday and I'll do this and this for you. And then years go by and we totally forget all that God did. In Mark chapter uh, 6, the disciples were with Jesus whenever he took five loaves of fish, 
uh, five loaves of bread, sorry, and two fish. And he did this huge miracle and he fed 15,000 people. I mean, with five loaves, two fish, 15,000 people. It was a great, great, great miracle. And uh, everyone was excited. Everyone was ecstatic about it. Later on that night, Jesus and his disciples were in a boat. And the wind and the waves were blowing so hard and the, 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 the boat was just tossing. The, 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 the weather started getting rough and the tiny ship was tossed. And if not for the f- courage of the fearless crew, the men would be lost. Y'all, y'all read the Bible too. I didn't know that y'all knew the Bible that well. That's good. Anyway, so the waves were blowing. Everything was just scary as anything. The disciples were so afraid they feared for their life. Jesus had walked on water toward them and they're still so upset. They're still so discouraged. They don't know what's going to happen. Jesus calms the storm and everything's okay. But there's something very important I need you to see. The Bible tells us why the disciples were so afraid. It says in Mark 6, 52, for they failed to consider the miracle of the loaves. Here's what happened. They were so distressed They were so worried. They were so afraid about what was going to happen. And earlier that day, they had just seen Jesus do the greatest miracle ever recorded. And yet their problem was they had forgot what God had done. Now, I need you to say this. They were obedient like many of you. They were faithful servants like many of you. They honored God like many of you. But the reason, the very thing that could have kept them from their God-given divine destiny was this. They simply forgot what it was God did. Have you ever said, God, if you, if you give me this child, a healthy baby, man, I'll do anything for you. God, if you give me this job, I promise I'll start honoring you financially. God, if you give me this person in my life, I'll be in church every Sunday. And God does his part, and we tend to forget the miracles that God did for us in the past. Deuteronomy 6.10 says, when God gives you cities that you can worship me freely in, when he gives you homes that you didn't think you'd be able to live in, when he gives you wells so you never go thirsty, when he gives you vineyards so you never go hungry, make sure you do not forget how God got you there. I heard about this guy that was driving around Market Common here, and he was looking for a parking space. Man, everything was packed, couldn't find a space anywhere. He drove around for 30 minutes. Finally, he got so fed up, he said, God, if you give me a parking space, I promise I'll be in church every single Sunday. Just like that, a front row space, somebody pulled out like clockwork. Man, this guy pulled into the space. He got out of the car. He looked up to heaven and said, never mind God, I found one myself. (laughs) Do you know how many times we've done that very same thing with the miracle? We've done it hundreds of times, hundreds of times. There was this guy I know... He's a, he's a millionaire. He lives in a huge mansion, and, um, and he loves to fish. He takes his yacht out on the ocean and fishes all the time. And uh, I went to his house, and he had all these huge fish all over the wall, mounted all over the walls of his house. I mean, like trophies. He had a, let's see, there was a swordfish over the fireplace. There was a blue marlin that was next to his TV. In his living room, there was this huge hammerhead shark. It had to be like 10 feet long, and they're mounted all over the walls. I mean, it's amazing. With every single fish that he has on the wall, he has a story behind it. The story always starts with the struggle. Always starts with the reel he had to use, how long it took, the people he had to have help him bring it in. I mean, on and on it goes. His his hands were bleeding. It took two or three hours. But the story always ends with the victory. Man, I finally got it, and here it is up on the wall. What's interesting is over the years, this guy's caught a bunch of small fish, like trout and flounder and things like that. But none of those little fish are mounted on the wall. Only the big fish are mountable. In our life, I think it's the same way. God's done a lot of little things for us. He gives us wisdom every day when, he asks, when we ask for it. He gives us a peaceful night's sleep. 
He lets us stay faithful at our job. He gives us the ability to work and have money. On and on. But I believe if you look back in your life, you will find at least a dozen or two things that are so big, you say those things are mountable in my life. You need to put them up on a wall somewhere, so to speak, so when you get in a relationship with somebody, you can point and say, let me tell you what God did for me eight years ago. Let me tell you what God did for me 10 years ago. Let me tell you how God helped me. Man, it was a struggle. I didn't think I was going to make it. And at the last minute, all of a sudden, the door opened up and God came through in my life. You have to learn how to mount the big things. In um, my life 20 years ago, I loved music, you know, and, and playing the piano. And I would stand outside of this nightclub called Crocodile Rocks at Broadway at the beach. I wasn't old enough to get in, but I would stand outside and I would watch this guy play and sing. I missed mean, one on for like two years straight. And I would just sit back outside by myself. I looked like a fool, you know, 16 years old, people walking in alcohol. I would just stand there and watch this guy play and sing and see what I could learn and what I could pick up. 20 years later, here we are today, and he's our worship leader in church every Sunday. Let me tell you, Mark Kaufman is mountable. <laughs> I know it doesn't sound right. <laughs> Y'all need to change the channel in y'all's mind, you nasty people. Anyway, um, if I could hang Mark on my wall, I would put him up in my house, probably in the bathroom or the closet, but he'd be hanging up there somewhere. He's, he's, he's mountable. Listen, this building in here, this building is mountable. We started in a, in a library 10 years ago, then we went to a storefront, another storefront. God opened up the door for us to purchase and renovate this property, and now we have one of the prime places in all of Myrtle Beach. This building is mountable. A few years ago, I made a mistake and lost a whole bunch of friends in my life, almost every friend I had. And over the past two years, not only has God given me new friends, but better friends. All my friends, they're mountable. (laughs) Here's the question I have for you. Have you let your miracles become mundane? Have you let the things you were once so proud of, so excited for, these are the things that will build your faith. I realize you have a lot of hurdles to overcome in the future. I realize not everything is perfect for you right now. I realize negative situations may come your way, but if you can learn how to change that channel in your mind and replay the right things, it'll give you the faith that you need to overcome the things in the future because if God did it for you once in the past, he can do it for you once again. I have a friend named Robert, and um, for about 30 years of his life, he was an alcoholic. I mean, he drank every day after work like clockwork. He'd go to the same bar. He would drink until he passed out. Someone would, the same guy would take him home, and he would start his day all over again for almost 30 years, almost three decades. On December the 3rd of 2010, he was riding down the road on 707 here in his truck, and he just pulled on the side of the road, and it wasn't anything magical. He didn't know what to say, but he just prayed a prayer. He said, God, I can't do it anymore. I've tried and tried and tried. I can't overcome this. I can't go one more day without you. I need you in my life. Just like that, he began to burst out laughing. And my friend Robert, if you know him, he does not laugh at all. I mean, he just started laughing uncontrollably. He drove all the way home still laughing. He got into his house, and something changed in his heart. On that day, December 3rd, 2010, not only did God save him, but God delivered him from alcohol, took that addiction completely out of his life. Not only that, but anytime he even sees a commercial of beer, he gets sick to his stomach. What I love about this story is ever since that day, December 3rd, 2010, he put a reminder in his phone so that the third of every month, his alarm goes off, and he just takes a few minutes and just say, God, thank you that I'm not where I used to be. Thank you that on December 3rd, 2010, you changed my life. You turned everything around for me. I wonder if we set our our phones to remind us on a certain day of what God did. I believe every day of the month, our phones would be going off every single day. All throughout the Bible, 
God would command his people to have celebrations, to remember something that he did on a certain day of the year. So all throughout the year, they would take off work, stop everything they were doing, and they would celebrate a particular day. In Exodus 13, 14, it says, In the future, when your children ask, what are we celebrating? You say, the Lord used his mighty hand to take us out of slavery. I can picture us having a big party one day, and we got music like we're going to have today, and there's lots of food being catered. We're having a party. And I can picture some visitors coming into our church later on, and you know, they say, what kind of party are y'all having? Is it, a, is it a wedding celebration? Is it someone's birthday? Is it a Super Bowl party? And you stop them and you say, no, we're just taking the time to celebrate the things that God's done in our life. Eight years ago, God gave me one of the most beautiful daughters you could ever imagine anybody having. Nine years ago, God healed my son of a tumor that was in his spinal cord underneath his brain. Eleven years ago, God called me to preach when I didn't think I'd be able to do anything like that. Twenty years ago, he opened up a school so we could, us misfits could make it through high school alive. And now, we're just, I'm just speaking for myself, we are taking this time to just celebrate and thank God for what he did in our life. Can you look back at the times where you thought you would be so lonely and God sent you just the right friends? The times where you thought you'd never be able to get into that house and somehow God made a way for you to own that? The times where you look back and think, man, God gave me this talent. He gave me this gift. He gave me this passion in life. Where would I be without the hands of God? I bet some of y'all can remember when you used to be so high, you didn't even know what day of the week it was. Or you can remember when you used to pray so hard for your children, thinking, God, help them get out of this mess. I can't believe where they're at. And now God's brought them so far. Have you celebrated any of the things that God's done in your life lately? Isaiah 46, 9, it says, Earnestly remember the former things which I did of old. Acknowledge that I alone am God and there's no one else like me. These are the ways that we stay encouraged in our life. When I was young, my mom's parents, my nana and papa, they took good care of me, practically raised me when I was a little kid. And um, I'd go to their house all the time. And every time we ate, I don't care if it was cereal for breakfast, if it was Bojangles, barbecue, whatever it was at home, out to eat, they would always say the prayer, the blessing over the food. And as soon as my papa said amen, we'd all eat except for him. He would leave his head bowed and he'd leave his eyes closed for like 15 seconds and he'd mumble something underneath his breath and then he'd open his eyes and, and eat with us. This went on since I was as young as I can possibly remember. Year after year I saw this. Finally one day I went to my nana. I said, nana, why does Papa do that? Why is it? He says the blessing, amen, we eat, but he leaves his head bowed, his eyes closed, he mumbles something under his breath and then he eats with us. What is that for? She said, John Paul, if you really want to know, you have to go ask him yourself. So I got the courage up one day. My papa was a really big man. He used to always crack jokes, but I went to him and said, Papa, I got to know, why is it that you do this? Why do you leave your eyes closed? What is it you're mumbling under your breath? And for the first time in his entire life, he was very serious with me. He sat me down. He said, John Paul, back in 1979, the doctors told me I had terminal cancer and that I was going to die. He said, I even fell into a coma. They had given up. They were planning the funeral. Everybody had said their goodbyes. But your nana stayed faithful. She would not stop praying. She sat beside my bed 24 hours a day, seven days a week. The doctor said it was over, it was done, it was complete, I was finished, I was going to go. But she would not give up hope. He said, one day out of the blue, miraculously, I came out of that coma. I woke up. He said, all I can remember was dreams about cowboys and Indians fighting the whole time. He said, I woke up to your nana praying on the side of my bed. 
the doctors came in and they could not explain it. They did not understand how the cancer had totally and completely left my body. And he said, to this day, I never want to forget what God did for me. So every time we go to eat, and then he said, because I really like food, every time we go to eat, it reminds me of what God did back in 1979. And I just thank him. Say, Lord, just thank you for healing my body those 30, 40 years ago. Here's what I love about the story. That took place back in 1979, but he talked about it as if it happened the day before. He talked about it as if it happened just 12 or 13 hours earlier, like it just took place yesterday. Our problem is this. It's easy to forget all that God has done. It's easy to bring back to our remembrance all the things he's done for us in our past. The Bible, in Bible days, the, the men, I'm sure you read about how they carried their staff with them everywhere they went. That staff was more than a walking stick. They were a nomadic people. They were nomads. They didn't stay in the same place. They didn't have paper and computers to keep records on. So their staff, they would carve into it all the things that God did for them over the years. Example, they'd carve, on this day, God gave me a son. On this day, God healed my body. On this day, he delivered us from slavery. On this day, he helped us defeat the Amalekites. Over and over again, it was their history channel with God. If you can remember in Exodus 14, 16, whenever the Lord parted the Red Sea for Moses, he told him, Moses, hold your staff high. I can picture the millions of Israelites. They're scared to death. The Red Sea's on one side. Their enemy's coming up behind them. They don't know what they're going to do. How are we going to get through this? And then all of a sudden, Charlton Heston grabs that staff, and he holds that thing up in the air. And just like this, I can picture all of their faith rising as they look at that staff. They remember, God brought supernatural plagues on my enemies. God gave my child for me at this time of my life. God did this and did that. Then they thought, if he did it for me all these times before, I know he'll do it for me again. 1 Samuel 17, 40. Whenever David faced Goliath, he didn't just have his slingshot. It says he took his staff in his hand and he went straight toward Goliath. Why would David carry this staff in his hand? Here's why. He wanted to remember, just before he fought this huge giant, he wanted to look back and remember, God helped me defeat the lion that came after my sheep. Remember that story? He helped me defeat the bear. He chose me to be the next king of Israel. He had all these good memories with God carved in his staff and he read through it one last time, threw it on the ground, and knew if God did it for him in the past, he would do it for him in the future. I can imagine right as Goliath fell to the ground, the first thing David did was grab that staff and carve it on this day. God helped me defeat a giant. You know what's interesting is I'm sure that there were some lions that got some of David's sheep at one point or another. I'm sure there was a bear that had gotten some of his animals. I'm sure that he was really discouraged the day that his father rejected him to be the next king of Israel. But none of those things were carved into his staff. The application I want to leave you with is this. 11 years ago, I opened up something on my laptop, on my, on my study laptop, called my thankful folder. It's right there on the desktop of it. And every month without fail, I will open up the folder and I'll add all the entries of what God did for me during that month. And then I'll read back through some of the ones that came before. There's probably over 700 different lines of things God did. From people taking me out to lunch, to a soccer game that my kid won, to a vacation that I went on. Even times where I know that God quickened a scripture to me when I really, really, really needed it. I will just write that down in there. Do you know those 700, 800 different things? Do you know anytime I'm discouraged? Let me tell you, I get discouraged. 
It happens to every single person. Do not think that because you see somebody that's on a stage or because they look happy, they have it all together. No, the, the spirit of discouragement probably attacks church leaders more than anybody. I have to read. Listen, last night I had to read through it like five or six times over and over again. I just feel that, that oppression hit me. I have to open up my folder and I think, okay, what did God do for me this month? I'll add a few things in there and then I'll read through about 100 or 200 things that he did for me in the past. If you want your life to change, I'm telling you today, open up a thankful folder. You have to do it. When you get home today, get you a notebook or get you a computer document, whatever it is, and write down you and your spouse, your friends, your parents. What, you think of it. What, are the, what did God do for me back in 1985? You could probably come up with 10 things if you think hard enough. It's easy to remember the bad things. I bet you you could remember 5,000 negative things that happened to you in your past. Don't write those things down. You know, in life, I get some nasty letters because I'm a pastor and everybody has, you know, some enemy somewhere. My nasty letters, they don't go in my thankful folder. They go in my fire pit in the backyard. I get me a really expensive cigar and a glass of wine and I have a party. And yes, I did just say that. So love me or leave me, I don't care. But the nasty things, you don't want to remember those. Put them in the fire pit and have a party when that happens. Only remember the right things. Last story and I'm going to let you go. In um, Acts 9, uh, Saul was the greatest enemy of the New Testament church. In verse 3, it says he was traveling to Damascus. He had letters in his hand with authority to arrest the followers of Jesus when suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him, knocked him off his horse, and changed his life. Here's what I want you to see. One of the most evil enemies that these believers, like me and you, had coming against them, one of the most wicked people around already had the letters ready, had the authority to cause persecution, difficulty, pain. All this discomfort was going to come to believers. And God turned Saul's life around on the way there. None of the believers knew that Saul was coming, but God knew. When I read this, I thought, I wonder how many times in our life that we didn't even know about times where cancer was going to come, time where a kidnapper was on his way, time where a thief was going to break into your home, time somebody was going to cause you pain or trouble at work, and God Almighty, with his powerful hand, said, I don't think so. That one belongs to me. I wonder how many times, things we don't even know about, God completely wiped the enemy out of our path. Last scripture, Psalm 77, 11. It says, I can recall the many miracles God has done for me. They are constantly in my thoughts. If you will today take the responsibility of encouraging yourself and not put it on others all the time, if you'll be willing to open up a thankful folder and remember the right things and start turning off the channel when the wrong things play, then just like David did in the beginning, I believe you'll be able to pursue the enemy, overtake him, and recover everything that's been stolen from you and fulfill your God-given destiny.